Happy New Year. <laughs> well, I nearly piped on Monday, uh, actually. I was uh, talking to Phil. We were down in Christchurch, and um, I was really, really tired. And um, I thought that I couldn't um, bring this message tonight because I didn't have it all together. And I'm preaching about something that actually is fairly raw because I haven't actually mastered this. So it's prophetic, this message, I guess. And if, we, if I looked too long at my shortcomings, then I'd run. <laughs> and uh, it's a dangerous thing to ask God to take you on a journey. And it's round about this time last year that I said to God, I don't know how to love like you do. I don't know. Now, I love the expression Greg's called as in kingdom love, because you know in English we've only got the word love. So I love my dog, I love my husband, I love my children, I like my shoes, I love my shoes. You know, we only have one word, right? But kingdom love, I really get that. And I don't have much kingdom love in my life. So I'm not preaching tonight as an expert. I'm preaching as a, I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to you, okay? Because if I did as an expert, I'd just go home. So uh, let's have the first clip. There's a psychologist called Dr. Rod Campbell, who I read when our children were about two and four. And uh, he likens our, uh, that we have an emotional tank like a fish tank in our chests. And through life, various things that happen, we leak. Right? And there's five ways to ensure that a child feels loved. And that's eye contact, positive touch, words of affirmation, gifts, and one-on-one time. Time, you know? And so we set up special occasions with our kids. And so once a week, I'd spend time with Zoe and Phil would spend time with Melody and then the next week we'd swap. And we did it right through their entire childhood. And sometimes they'd come and say, Mum, my tank's getting empty can uh, we have a special occasion? And then it became a thing that I'd say to Phil, hey, my tank's getting empty, can we go on a date? And now our growing up children say, oh, mum, I haven't seen you for ages, can uh, we go on a special occasion? And it occurred to me that the next clip was basically like this. So that's the scripture in Jeremiah about... um, For my people, that's Jeremiah 2.13. For my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. So I'm going to start by focusing on emptiness. And uh, I'm going to add in my testimony of learning um, what the kingdom love is like. When we attempt to follow God's commands such as loving him and loving one another, if we do it by religion and religious structures, then we can look like this dry, cracked system. And the reality is that we leak. So I managed to con two people into doing this thing with me. (laughs) So come on, you guys. I'm just struggling here for a minute. Just hold that. Okay, so, you know, uh, just before these guys start, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a gap sometimes, right, from what we hear 
in um, the scripture and what we actually understand. There can be a big gap. There can be a gap between how spiritual we are on Sunday and then how spiritual we are by Wednesday. True? Yeah. Okay, so I decided that we needed a really good example of that in our modern life. So I've got this plastic container that came from, you know, it had sun-dried tomatoes in it for Christmas. And I put a crack in it. So this is like the cracked um, dry cistern. And then um, in this bowl, there's eight-day-old dog water that was in our dog bowl when we got home. And uh, that's pure water. And we're going to do a little exercise. So you might add a few things. Radio. So Brendan's going to add water when he does something spiritual, an act of worship or prayer during the week. But Rebecca is going to take it out because that's real life. Okay? Radio. So I think I need someone else. Great. I can't do it with the microphone. Okay, so we need to fill, fill this up. Fill it right up. Fill it right up. Okay, so this is church on Sunday, particularly good sermon. Okay, rightio. Monday morning comes, sleep in, take a teaspoon out. Didn't do the washing yesterday, old undies. Take two spoonfuls out. Put a spoonful in, Brendan, because you listen to worship on the way to, uh, to work. <laughs> okay. Um, worshipped in the car again on the way home. Did you get the idea? Okay. Um, the next day the boss brings your deadline forward and you are very, very sarcastic back about the loss of two days. Put a spoonful of dirty water in. Actually, put two because in the toilet you swear big time. Put a whole big um, big spoonful in because it's mountain movers. You come early, stay late. Put another one in because you stayed late. <laughs> uh, put the big a huge spoonful in because the next morning you get up at four in the morning and really spend time with God. Put four in. However, someone nicked your car park and you had to go drive around for 20 minutes and so you really got mad when you got a car ticket when you got back and you lost the plot at the, at the ticket warden. So put in at least five. Now, I did want to actually to put flies in there, but Phil vacuumed, <laughs> and I couldn't find any flies. <laughs> so it would, have, yeah, it would have been the fly in the ointment. Oh, there's one in there. Excellent. Okay, you can sit down now. Do you get the idea? <laughs> Wonderful. That um, champagne ice bucket's never going to be the same, I don't think. Okay, next clip. This is what the spring should look like. Should be sufficient, abundant, and more than enough. Second Corinthians nine eight said, "And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all that you need, you may have an abundance for every good work. Abound, abundance to exceed, affluence, he 
not a spoonful out, not leaking, not dry. I love the picture of these two kids. I love the delight of it. And to me, that was the picture of kingdom love, like 1 Corinthians 13. Love never gives up. Love cares for others more than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Trust steadily in God. Hope unswervingly. Love extravagantly. And the best of the three is love. Matthew 5, 44. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And that's where it gets a bit gritty, doesn't it? Because actually when someone gives you a hard time, I don't know about you, but the honest truth is I don't want to pray for them. I absolutely don't want to love them. I don't. I want to, depends how much they hurt me. If they really hurt me, I want to kick them. Uh, if, if I'm really angry, I want to check out. I think, oh, well, I just won't have a relationship with you then. And I went through this situation at work where a colleague, uh, through accepting a core heart and some very difficult circumstances involving sickness and stuff, that when I went on the Marae with my students, I accepted a koha, and I shouldn't have, but I didn't know. Then I got asked for the koha back, and I were, there was an inference that I'd stolen it, that I'd double dipped, and I was mad. I was mad because I thought it was cultural abuse. I was mad because I thought, how dare he, he should know that I've got integrity by now. I was angry because it upset a couple of the best students and I did not feel loving towards him whatsoever. Not a jot, in fact. So if you show the next slide, I basically was like that desert and I was like that dog, but I couldn't think what it was called. You know that dog, some of you older people might remember, there's a dog that goes like this. I was like that. And... What I noticed during that time is that I tried to get up earlier and soak myself in God's presence, but often by lunchtime I'd run out. And I'm not used to spending time with God three times a day. I do the morning. Why do we only do the morning? Daniel did it three times a day. I bet you if he didn't worship with God three times a day, he probably would have been eaten by the lions. Maybe. Anyway, I was very, um, very, very dry. And the pressure really increased over this year. So I gave God my thesis. I'm halfway through my master's. I gave God my thesis where I was sitting round about where you are, Anwar. It's a very risky seat to sit there. <laughs> so one service, I think I got a bit carried away. And I said to the Lord, I'll do anything you want. I give you my life. I give you my will. I give you my thesis. I give you everything. And then he took it. And I was very sulky about that. It was sort of like a token gesture at that moment. I felt a bit carried away. But then actually, when a week or so later, Victoria University changed the rules, and I couldn't do my thesis anymore. 
I was really peeved about that as well. So I was peopled out, I was strained. My marking schedule was shortened by two days and in the middle of it, I had to go to this facilitation meeting. And uh, the area manager was flying up from Dunedin for it. And I don't know about you, if you've ever had to do these sorts of things, but they're very tiresome. You know, what do you feel? And what do you think? Da, 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 da. And it was like very difficult to face it. And on the Sunday, so that was coming up on the Wednesday, on the Sunday night, uh, at the same time I was sitting in your seat, Anwar, I also said to the Lord, show me my sins. Very foolish. <laughs> uh, and November the 5th, I'd been healed for five uh, years. And when I was um, spending time with the Lord that morning, I felt him say that on the Sunday night service, he was going to show me something really special. And so I was expecting, you know, something really awesome, like called up the front and a fabulous prophecy or, I don't know, anything. But actually what he showed me was how frail and how dry and how worthless, really, my efforts to be a Christian are. And what happened is that I was talking to Sandra, feeling exhausted and thinking, I'll just talk to one person and then I'll go home. Because then I wasn't being, you know, disobedient, (laughs) but I talked to one person and then I could drive home and feel not guilty because I was being friendly and part of the community, right? So I sort of ignored Adele, if I'm really honest. She was standing right there and I sort of, I knew she was there and I knew she probably wanted to talk to me, but I was peopled out and so I thought, I'll just keep her waiting and maybe she'll go away. It's awful, eh? That's the honest truth. And she waited, and she waited, and she waited. And then I turned to her and I said, hello, how are you? And she said, I've got two questions for you. I went, okay. And inside I thought, oh, I hope she doesn't want me to pray for her. That's, that's awful, isn't it? But that's the honest truth. And instead she said to me, do you like the ballet? And I went, I love the ballet. Because I wanted to be a ballerina when I was growing up and I wasn't allowed to go to ballet. And it was like, yes. And then she said, we've got two tickets to Giselle. Do you want to go on Tuesday night? And Phil goes, Giselle. And I went, how do you know about Giselle? (laughs) And he'd been trying to buy tickets and couldn't. And I just stood there like, yes, (laughs) yes, that'd be really great. And on the way home, man, it was so humbling because A, I'd ignored her which I have moaned and whinged about to some of my friends when people do it to me, and I did it. B, it was like the Lord said, my love is magnificent. My love is abundant. My love is delightful. I know, Rochelle, that the ballet fills something in you. I know, and I wanted to give you that delight. And I felt about that big. And that got me thinking about 2 Corinthians 2.15. So let's just turn to that. It's funny when you try and find something in the Bible, have you noticed that? 
Okay, 2 Corinthians 2.14. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? And when I read that the next morning on the Monday morning, it just went, (coughs) and I thought I was actually like the dog's water. I ignored Adele. I did the very thing that I wondered about the most. The very thing I hate about coming to church with, I did. And the Lord just said, there's this huge gap between the love that I get as a Christian and the love that he has. And this community has messed with me so profoundly that I feel unsure (laughs) of anything in terms of religious practice because so much of my life has been made up of rules and legalistic things that finally now, after being here for around 18 months, I actually decided I don't know much at all. And so much of my life I've had to actually let go of because it was just religious And the reality is, I don't carry the fragrance of knowing God much into my life. I'm not out with the homeless. I'm not talking to the prostitutes. I'm not praying for them. I feed a few of the hungry. I come here. I pray for my students. But there's one thing that I do do, and that is I absolutely am falling in love with God. I'm absolutely learning that God is our Papa, our Papa who is longing for us with this extravagant, abundant, magnificent love that he wants to pour into us so that we pour out. So while we watch this clip, if you can find that little cotton ball that I gave you uh, when I came in, we'll just watch this Old Spice ad.
best feeling in the world. Do you guys remember that from first time round? No? Oh, yeah, I can remember buying Old Spice for my dad for Christmas. <laughs> if you wear Old Spice, you're the man. If you take your cotton wool ball and rub it, you know, on your hands, rub it on your wrist. Once you've done it, have a, have a smell. Got it? My husband hasn't got one. I'd hate him to miss the message. <laughs> Here you go. Now, do you have to do anything to smell like that perfume? Right now, do you have to do anything? No. Could you get it off? Not really, eh? In fact, my hands, just, just from making them up for you, I can smell it on my hands. If that fragrance is knowing Christ then all we have to do is move, isn't it? And Psalm 119 says, uh, this tiny little snippet in the message says, live life as one long, obedient response. And what I realized in that moment of absolute humility is that I don't need to live as a Christian for God. You don't need to live your life for God. It's impossible, I reckon. What we need to do is live from him as the source. We live from a place of intimacy. Get the difference? One is something full of a whole lot of practices, a whole lot of stuff that we do. And that was my attitude when I came to church that night. I couldn't pray for anybody. I couldn't be bothered talking to anybody because I was peopled out. So I was just going to be neutral. But I was also totally ineffective. If you smell your hands again, if we took that fragrance, if we hung out and searched for God so much that wherever we go in our work, in our walking down the road everywhere, that we were carrying that intimacy with him, then I think we would have kingdom love. So I want to share with you what happened with this guy at work. Okay, so the Monday was after the Sunday, and I really hung out with God. Uh, normally I wake really early, but I started setting my alarm. So I'm up three, half past three in the morning because I knew this meeting was going to be gnarly. And frankly, I wanted to tell him where to get off. Hey, Phil. <laughs> and I practiced with Phil how I might do it. But I knew, not at him, I just told him how I might do it. You know, because you've got to be polite, but I'd do it in a nice way. But basically, I'd tell him where to get off. And I was so convicted. That was prior to the Sunday night. And then Monday morning, it was like, okay, if I'm going into that meeting with the fragrance of knowing Christ, then A, I need to get my act together with God and fill up again. And B, I better hear from him how I'm meant to be there. Okay, so I asked for love for this guy who was irking me entirely. And I asked him for a message. Now my friend, my dear friend, who I send texts to, to and fro early in the morning, she gets up as well, sent me some awesome scriptures that made me feel like I was not going on my own. And then the Lord firmly said to me that I had to go in humility and obedience. No, humility and authority. 
Sometimes I think we run out of kingdom love because we actually pretend. We don't speak the truth in love. And I think uh, not speaking the truth in love is like wrapping up an abscess and it just deepens down to the bone because it's untreated, just pussy and disgusting, right? So I needed to go and be truthful, but I also had to do it in humility. So the meeting starts. He is very aggrieved. It's a big guy. He's sitting there like this. And uh, he was very aggrieved, and he had this whole thing going on in his head where he decided that I'd colluded with the students and made them do it, and that I double-dipped, and I was being paid twice, and blah de blah de blah de blah blah Now, in the natural, I'm fairly articulate. So I could have stuck it to him quite nicely. And the Lord said, just bite your tongue. So I pinched my leg, I actually sat on my hands and I bit my tongue inside my mouth and I just waited and just waited and just waited and just waited. And 20 minutes from the end, so we've been in this meeting for at least two hours by this stage, we had 28 minutes to go before the boss had to fly out. And I was thinking, this just isn't going to happen. There's no way that there is going to be any reconciliation here. And he, he had got to the point where the answer was going to be that we didn't interact. So we shared a class of students, but basically he would do his thing and I would do my thing. And the Lord said, speak now. And so I said, no, that's not okay, because that's not real. And then the Lord said, be quiet. And then he said, you haven't prayed yet. And I hadn't. So I sat there really quietly and prayed and asked for the fragrance of knowing Christ into that meeting. And then there was a gap, and the Lord said, speak now. And so I just spoke the truth. But I already had the love in my heart. And I reckon there was a fragrance that fell in that room when I prayed, and it released it. And so anyway, I spoke. The long and the short of it is, there was amazing reconciliation. When the boss left, we carried on talking. And the Lord said for me to tell him I loved him. I'm like, oh, okay, this is my job. This is, this is my work. Really? So I said, you know that I love you? And he said, oh, I can only love my wife. <laughs> and I went, no, I don't love you like that. <laughs> but I do love you. And he got a tear in his eye. And we had this incredible, real, authentic, gutsy chat. And I went home and I thought, that's what kingdom love is. That's what it is. Have the next clip. Just go on to the next one, eh? So I started reading about delight. And there's so many scriptures about how God delights in us and we delight in him. Um, it actually isn't showing very well out there. I think I've done it a little bit little, but we could maybe post the PowerPoint because there's about 10 um, scriptures out there. But delight means to desire, give pleasure to or be pleasing to, enrapture, enchant, enthrall, hold spellbound. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. So that means he's enraptured by us. 
enchanted, enthralled. That's not little, is it? That's huge. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. And then Psalms 35, 9 says, Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord and delight in his salvation. Psalm 23, 5, You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. I love that. That's what happened for me in that meeting. God literally anointed that time. Psalm 34, 4, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And the picture I get from these scriptures is of a love relationship that's reciprocal, back and forward. It's like a partnership. Me and God partnered into that meeting. Isn't that amazing that God wants to partner with us? That blows my mind. That's not me having a few quiet times and then going in in my own strength. That's the opposite. That's actually practicing the presence of God so profoundly that I don't go into that meeting on my own. I go with God. And the strength I have in those difficult times is from God. It's not something I try and garner to be good enough. It's totally, totally different. The next clip. I love this picture because to me that's what kingdom loving's like. It's abundant, magnificent, there's overflow. And I don't know about you, but the reality is that we have pretensions. And I asked the Lord, what are mine? And I sort of wished I hadn't because it was very, very rough to actually see them. You take the next clip. Second Corinthians 10.5, let's just turn to that. 2 Corinthians 10.5 We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take, take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So this is a picture of the Berlin Wall before it was pulled down because pretensions literally means barriers. So I was thinking that they're barriers that prevent us from intimacy with God. They're the things that get in the way. So after the meeting with this guy, I asked the Lord, what are my pretensions? And one of my big ones is a check-out mentality in my head. When I was a kid, I grew up planning my suicide. Every night I'd go to bed and I'd plan different ways of doing it. I thought everybody did that. I thought that was normal. Until I was around about 12 or 13, 14 I think I was actually, and um, I had a consciousness of God from when I was five, from when I um, became a Christian, and for me I've been a Christian since then. But I also planned my death on a daily basis. Obviously, things weren't that fantastic in my life for that to happen. When I got filled with the Holy Spirit at 14, you know, I was released from the spirit of death and hell. However, in my head, I still had a checkout mentality. My friends know that in my head, when the going gets tough, I, I want to leave. If I, if I feel slighted or I'm annoyed or I see lots of faults, then in my head, I'm gone. 
a checkout mentality. That is a pretension. That's a barrier against me staying intimate with God. We can have a martyr attitude. In my family, hard work was the thing. That's what was acceptable. If you see a job needing to be done, do it. It wasn't acceptable to go play sport or go muck around. Hard work was the thing, hard work and church. So my pretension was, I would, I'll work hard for God. Okay? But this, this fellowship or this kinship community totally messes with that. <laughs> you can't come here and carry on doing that really because it's the opposite, isn't it, to kingdom living and absolute kingdom loving. Personal ambition. We can have personal ambition. We can be distracted. We can have a just enough mindset like the five virgins. It wasn't that they didn't have any oil, those five virgins. They just didn't have enough. If God didn't turn up, the bridegroom didn't turn up in their schedule, they ran out. And when you add that to the scripture that uh, God delights in us searching for him, then we need to be filled up because otherwise we're going to run out. And then the chances of us flowing abundantly kingdom loving are probably about zilch, aren't they? We can neglect our own vineyards. Song of Songs 8, she talks about, uh, oh no, sorry, 1, verse 5. Talks about neglecting her own vineyard. And the Lord said to me, Rochelle, you've neglected your own vineyard. That means we need to look after ourselves. Physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. What's left? Spiritually, physically, (laughs) holistically, the whole lot. We actually need to look after ourselves so that we have more, we have so much comfort flowing in our lives that we can comfort others, not so we live barren. So the next clip. Now this is part one of this message because the second half is the strategies that the Lord's been teaching me and how to do this. And I couldn't fit it all in. But basically, this is a picture truly of this woman and how she made that big hole. She's just got a little, you know, small nail and a fairly small hammer. But as we know, that entire wall came down. So we literally have to demolish these arguments and pretensions in our lives. And I think that this is really challenging because I think the longer we've been alive, the more ingrained patterns we have. And I think there's a big mistake that I've made is that come to church on Sunday, come up the front maybe to an altar call, make a response, hang out to a home group, come back the next Sunday. And then my patterns, my pretensions can be unexamined and unchanged in the rest of my life. So there's this huge gap with how we are at church and then how we are in the real world. And I believe God wants us as a community, as we develop kinship, which means loving with kingdom love, where we love each other like true brothers and sisters, or the love that a parent has for a child, then we have to demolish those pretensions. And if we don't, then we won't love. I really think it's impossible. Next clip. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Greg said in his sermon this morning 
that it's not going to take some things that we do, it's going to take everything. And I, in my journey of learning to honour, it's really painful to honour somebody who doesn't deserve it. It's really painful to show love to somebody that has just treated you really badly. But when I look at this picture, for me, that's, that is what it's like. And I had, uh, last year, early last year, I honoured some people, and it actually physically hurt me. It's like my chest hurt. Maybe it was oh, the lack of justice in it. I don't know, but my chest physically hurt. And I was telling Greg about it. I'll never forget this moment. And then he said, oh, did it feel like this? And I went, yep. Because dying on the cross and denying ourselves is painful. But God doesn't call us to deny our identity, does he? That's the difference. He is passionately interested in us. He loves us with an overflowing, abundant love. He wants us to have these rich, abundant, magnificent lives. But to do that, we have to deny ourselves. But for me, I have never felt more myself than now. I have never felt more me than now. I have never felt more loved by God than now. And I asked the Lord, what does your love look like? And every day I searched and sat in it, God. When I was sick, you know, with the nerve disease, when I had to wear blindfold and dark glasses and stuff, I couldn't read anymore. So there were lots of hours where I just, it was just there. And I learned to meditate on the Lord and I started to have pictures of going into a throne room. And I never really twigged that I was seeing the throne room of heaven. I never really thought about it. It just became part of how I worshipped God, right? So recently, when I asked him about what his love was like, he showed me this huge, mighty fire that came out of a mouth. And it was like, and the land was ravaged. Like the fire just consumed everything. Like those big fires in Aussie, if you saw on TV. It was just that the buildings were demolished, the vegetation was like, I was like, ooh, <laughs> I don't really like that. That's, that's, that's sort of violent. And the Lord said, just wait. And as I waited, waited a few more days, kept seeing that, kept seeing that day after day. And then finally he said, watch. And this rain, just like a dew, tiny little dew fell, and then it got harder and harder, so it was just like pouring rain. He said, that's my Holy Spirit. And then this rich, beautiful, tropical vegetation came up with flowers and beautiful, fragrant trees. And the Lord said, that's what my love is like. But it's violent. It's huge. It's life-changing. The smallness in our lives that it talks about in Galatians 5 is of our making. It's of my making. It's when I confine myself by petty, small pretensions, small sins that are like the little foxes it talks about in Songs of Songs. It's the little things that I think don't really matter. It's me ignoring Adele. And boy, did God show me how he sees it differently. The other vision I want to share with you is that shows God's abundance is in the, all the lessons and the sharing that 
Greg has um, given us about being the bride, I asked the Lord, can you please show me my wedding dress? I've always loved weddings. I've had two, but I married the same man. <laughs> uh, Phil and I renewed our wedding vows when um, we've been married for 15 years, and I got to wear the red dress that I wanted to wear the first time, but my mum wouldn't let me. So um, two weddings to the same man. It was great. And uh, anyway, so in the spiritual, I was saying, Father, could you please show me what my wedding dress is like? So I go to the throne room. And in the throne room, up behind the, the cross, there's this huge spring of water, and it just springs up out of the, the floor. And um, I always go in and see myself in this long sort of petticoat, like old-fashioned ladies wear. I don't know why, but that's what I see. And the Lord said to me this time, jump in it. And I jumped in it, and it's bubbly, like really nice champagne. And I was drinking it, so it's inside and outside. Now, the priests in Exodus, who were soaked in oil, they didn't just, you know, put it on a little bit. They poured it, Exodus thirty twenty nine. it was poured over them so it flowed out abundantly. And so the Holy Spirit waits for us to dive into him with, abun- with absolute abandonment. And then you come out and you're totally cleansed. And the Lord said, Turn, turn around and see your wedding gown. Now, there wasn't just one. It was this whole massive wardrobe. It's about 10 metres long. And in it, there's about a hun- hundreds of beautiful wedding gowns. That's how extravagant he is. All of us. Beautiful, beautiful, encrusted, beautiful gowns. And out of a drawer, he pulls a crown And my favorite pattern of all is like wreaths with leaves and stuff, and mine had diamonds on it. And he has that for every one of us. And that's what he wants for us as his church. Abundant. Psalm 119, 305 says, I hate the two-faced, but I love your clear-cut revelation. You're my place of quiet retreat. I wait for your word to renew me. Brother Lawrence is this Fryan, mm, can't think of the name, Franciscan monk, I think he was. And he worked in the kitchens, which is not where he wanted to be. But he was well known for practicing the presence of, of God. If we practice the presence of knowing God, then we will be fragrant. And that's going to mean different things for each of us. For me, I've got a big rest for the next month. And I feel the Lord saying to me that I need to set aside time three times a day, like Daniel did. And that sort of blows my brain. (laughs) I can do early mornings. What it might look like for Phil might look really different than what it might look like for Vera. It might look different for what it looks like for Danny. But I know that I know that God is calling us, calling his church into total surrender. That it's not enough to have that leaky system, and we are all leaky. And in the 21st century, I think our lives are fast. There's a lot going on. We're bombarded by media. We're bombarded by noise. I would guess that we probably leak faster than five or 
you know, 600 years ago. So that means we have to soak in the presence of the Lord more. Minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day. So we have the last clip. I think that the Lord is calling me to total surrender. Zechariah 4, 6 said, It's not by might, it's not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Galatians 5.25 says, If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Now live, the Greek word for live is zao, Z-A-O. It means to live, to breathe among the living, to enjoy real, true life, to be fresh, strong, efficient, active, powerful, and to be in full vigor. To learn to kingdom love, to learn to love God with all our hearts, minds, and spirit is going to take absolutely everything we've got. Denying ourselves and moving into total surrender. And I just want to go back to a scripture. Um, Yeah, I can't find it. It's uh, in Exodus, and it's the priests of Aaron. Uh, it might be Psalm 133. And uh, he pours the oil over everything in the tent of meeting. Now, it's cassia, aloe, myrrh, and fragrant cane. And I'm figuring fragrant cane is probably sugar-based. And you know little kids who eat a lollipop, and they leave a sticky residue wherever they go? I sort of reckon that's what we're meant to be doing. So I think that if we asked to be anointed tonight by the oil of the Holy Spirit like that, the word in the scripture says, so everything they touch is consecrated and made holy. I would love to be so full of kingdom love that when I go out from here, everything I touch becomes holy, wouldn't you? Wouldn't our world be entirely changed if that's how we really were? So as I've prayed over the week about what now, I don't know what now. But what I do know is that God requires a response from every single one of us tonight. And I'm loath to open up up here. It makes me feel nervous to say, come forward and get prayed for. Because I suspect that we might be in a bit of a pattern with that. And it's easy to be resistant and actually think, A, this altar call doesn't apply to me. Or B, it's a token gesture. Or C, it's the real McCoy. So, I don't think we'll do that tonight. But as we worship... We're going to ask the Holy Spirit what to do. And I believe that every single one of us, as I've prayed and prayed over the week, we need to be soaked in the Holy Spirit. We need to be changed. Otherwise, our world is going to perish around us and we're not going to really, really know God.